Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN as we continue on this uh, Wednesday morning. Um, my uh, next guest is uh, the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And he's been working on UFO studies for years. And uh, his name is Mark Rediger. And uh, we've got some stuff that happened on this date. We have to, this is a kind of an important anniversary in the in the in the look back. The U.S. Uh, Air Force reports on Roswell back in uh, June twenty fourth on this date, uh, nineteen ninety seven. So um, let's uh, let's bring Mark on. Hello, Mark. Hi, Nick. How are I, you? I appreciate the opportunity to talk about UFOs tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting. How, what was your? How did you get uh, started in the, in that study? Well, I, uh, I grew up in northwest Indiana, so I was close to uh, Chicago and Dr. Heineck, and that made a difference because when I was a college student, he started the center in the fall of 1973, um, and um, I actually went to Indiana University for my undergrad. So when I came home uh, in the summer, I thought, you know, I'd, I'd always been interested in UFOs, like a lot of kids in the 60s. And I thought, eh, I want to get seriously involved. And so I contacted uh, him and the organization. And, you know, he, he actually didn't want to have young undergrads involved. It took a little persuasion on my part. But uh, I finally convinced him that I could uh, make a contribution. I volunteered. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have uh, stuck with it ever since. So did this, was this something that was with you? I mean, you, you just said, was this something that was with you? Were you always fascinated by this, even when you were a kid? Yeah, I would say the earliest I can remember, you know, being, you know, reading books about it um, was maybe uh, nine or ten years old. Um, you know, when I, I, I'm, I was born in 53, and when um, I was growing up, UFOs were very much in the news, you know, even more than now. Um, and so uh, I also was interested in the space program and things like that. And it, it just kind of all came together in my mind. And, and um, the other thing is, as I found out later, is I appreciated what people were saying. You know, I, I believe people when they say they see something, even when I was a kid. Um, and so I, I read as much as I could but I didn't join. There were UFO groups around before the center, but I didn't join them. I stuck to my studies and did the things that kids do. But there was a, a giant UFO wave of sightings in the fall of 1973, mostly in the southeast U.S. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that Dr. Heineck uh, founded the center. Oh. And um, I, of course, followed that closely. And um, like I said, you know, that kind of even reinforced my interest. You know, I was now uh, grown and, uh, you know, able to do things in college. And I, like I said, I thought, you know, this is the time to um, to take action and, and to get involved. And it, it's worked out really well. Oh, that's great. That's really, really great. Well, what about the, how, how is the study of, of UFOs and extraterrestrials, how is it, uh, how is it perceived you know, because I know that there's kind of there might be kind of like a cloud over it because some people think, oh, UFOs, you know, uh, extraterrestrials. It's kind of weird. How is it conceived, especially in in the academic community? Oh, it, it's always been something that's been verboten. Uh, that that people look at you with a sidewise look. Um, you know, that was true back then, um, and it's still true today. Though, of course, things are changing a little bit. We don't get a chance to talk about, but but over the years. 
um, it has been uh, so difficult for academics or professionals to get involved that often they wanted to, to uh, contribute anonymously and wouldn't allow their name to be used, and they certainly wouldn't tell anybody they work with about it. Uh, let me give you a quick 30-second thing. A few years ago, um, I was, we were contacted by a journalist from a, uh, a well-known major newspaper that I won't name, but you would easily know its name. And this fellow was one of the editors and had seen a UFO in his backyard, also seen by a neighbor near dusk mm. uh, in the summer. And uh, he called us to talk about it, and also, to, as, as people usually do, to see whether anybody else had reported it, which, which they hadn't. And uh, he said, I cannot talk to anybody in the newsroom. I can't talk to anybody, because if I do, they'll think I'm completely nuts. Wow. And, and that was only maybe, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I'd say. Wow. All right. So, so uh, uh, this, the UFO, uh, the, the world of UFOs. How many? You know, uh, is there a, is there a large contingency of people who who, who study uh, the uh, the UFOs, the world of no, UFOs? No, not really. Uh, it, it's there are many people who are who are uh, interested in it and attend uh, annual meetings or belong to a group called MUFON. They're actually the largest group. Um, the, the center doesn't uh, take members as such, uh, but uh, the um, people who are serious. Uh, like myself, who spend a lot of time on it. You know, nobody's paid to do this. Everybody's a volunteer. Um, your numbers, you know, more than a handful, but le- less than a bushel. It's, 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 you know, we don't have enough qualified people involved because of all the difficulties uh, in doing this. Oh, okay. I see. So tell me about, uh, you know, see, you, you work, you are part of the, uh, the J. Uh, Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. Tell me about J. Allen Hynek. Uh, J. Allen Hynek was really a fascinating guy. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I met him because it wasn't just in UFOs. He was a classic scientist, actually a classic um, absent-minded professor. He once left his uh, briefcase on the, uh, the uh, Purple Line on his way back oh, from did? downtown Chicago <laughs> to, to his home at Evanston, but fortunately got it back. Um, but um, he had a goatee. He was a, uh, you know, an astronomer. Uh, and, and did that his whole life. Very respected astronomer, not a world class, you know, not not the world beater kind, but a very well known guy that did a lot of interesting work in stellar astronomy. Uh, he also was one of the first people to get an observatory with a video camera back in the '60s, um, and so he liked technology uh, and was kind of on the cutting edge with that. In fact, during World War II, he worked on uh, the proximity fuse, which was used by the military, and then he worked on the with V2 rockets. Uh, that we got from the Germans, of course, right after the war. Um, and uh, what was important, and you know, why is he associated with UFOs in the center, is that when the Air Force started looking at UFOs in about uh, June or July of 1947, uh, shortly after that, in early 48, they needed a scientist, an astronomer, who would help them look at the reports they were receiving and just determine whether there was some uh, astronomical explanation, which often there was. They, uh, and Dr. Heineck then was at Ohio State University, um, and the Air Force project was in Dayton, Ohio, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which many people uh, have heard of. And so they recruited him, um, and uh, he got involved that way. So he didn't, you know, he didn't... Uh, express an interest. It was like, well, okay, if you'll pay me to do this, sure, I'll do it. But 
when he started doing it and explained a lot of reports, he began to realize, because he was intellectually honest, you know, not only can I not explain some of these, some of these look like they're really hard to explain, period. And so his interest was piqued, um, and things just moved from there. Okay. And uh, and uh, so so it, it, tell me about the uh, the actual uh, the 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 actual center for UFO studies. Right, we, we we're we're a you know a nonprofit group. We're more like a think tank. You know, we don't as I say, we don't have uh, public members or all that. We publish monographs and reports, um, and um, we try to work on special research projects. You know, Roswell was one of our projects. Um, I did a, a long-term study of uh, people who claim they're abducted by UFOs. Um, we've also looked at, at UFO history. Um, one of our board members, who is a, a retired professor at Western Michigan University, and a few other people wrote uh, what I think is the uh, definitive book on um, uh, the government study of UFOs, not just the U.S. government, but the British government and others. So, um, you know, we do that, but we also um, do lectures, do interviews like this, you know, try to inform the public as best we can. Yeah. And most important, I suppose, we have the largest collection of UFO cases in the world. Oh, well, we have to talk about that. Hang on, okay, Mark? Sure. All right, there's a lot more to talk about here uh, with... Uh uh, Mark uh, Rodiger, and uh, he is the president uh, and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And we'll talk more with Mark right after this on WGN. Welcome back. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 a.m. And uh, yes, uh, Mark Rodiger is, the, is my guest right now. He's the president of scientific director of uh, the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And um, we were just talking about the uh, the studies. Now, tell me about the examples you, you just mentioned before the break about the UFO uh, cases. Tell me, tell, me, tell me about some of them and, and how many you have. Well, we, we think we have, you know, we've never gone through and counted them on paper, and of course we have them electronically now, but we think eighty or 90,000 separate reports. Wow. Uh, all kinds of report Letters from people, really well-investigated reports done by, you know, competent investigators. Um, you know, for one example is we have the original report file for the famous Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. Um, which was which occurred in 1961. There was a movie about it and a book about it, um, and you know, so we have that. We have original Air Force documents uh, that actually. Uh, Dr. Heineck, you know, was an Air Force advisor all the way up to the end of the project in the, in the, at the end of the 1960s, and he often, not, you know, got copies of things that maybe should have stayed in the files. It was a kind of a five-finger discount uh, at the time. Um, and um, so we have that. Of course, we have all kinds of, uh, we have a, a, a pieces of material in a few cases um, that are said to have come from a UFO. There was a... Um, uh, something that was reported in um, Brazil back in 1957 at uh, Ubatuba on a beach where somebody said a UFO had crashed and they had found 
pieces, very small pieces of it in the water. Um, and they retrieved it, and, you know, and one thing's gone to another. And it's been studied over the years, and we have two pieces of it. And recently, we've actually done a reanalysis with the better technology, the more um, you know, more capable technology that we have today. Wow. So, uh, and and we're uh, talking about some of these cases. What are some of the more the most sort of notorious or interesting cases that you, you talked about? Well, the um, you know, I think that if uh, the Father Gill case stands out as really an amazing case, it, it happened in Papua New Guinea, so it didn't happen in the states. But it's an amazing case because it is something that is very hard to discount as as not happening. Father Gill was a, as it sounds, he was a as a missionary mm-hmm. in, in uh, for the church. Um, and working with the natives, just like you expect, except that uh, he was, you know, got along fabulously with them. And Papua New Guinea, by the way, is, is, a, is a difficult place to do that. And uh, in an evening, um, in the late 1950s, when it was just getting dusk, um, somebody came running to see him and said, there's some kind of a weird thing in the sky. Um, and he went out to look, along with some of the people in, in the uh, missionary, or the mission, I should say, and um, there was an object, a classic flying saucer, you know, in the sky, hovering there, completely visible. You know, 2,000 feet up, 1,000 feet up, you know, fairly large, could see it perfectly. It was a disc-shaped thing with a kind of a railing around it. And at one point, an entity came out onto the railing and waved at them. And this was such a clear sight that um, there, you know, you, you don't, it can't be a, a, an odd plane or some secret project that was being tested in Papua New Guinea. Um, it wasn't the planet Venus, which some skeptics have said. Oh, okay. All these people weren't hallucinating. It wasn't Venus because it was a clearly, you know, distinct object. Nobody had a camera, unfortunately. But the, the point is that this is, a, this is a sighting seen by you know, many people, including this guy who was, is, you know, a, a fellow who I met, Father Gill, later in the 1970s in, in Evanston at the center, um, completely respectable, honest as the day is long. And so you know, either you have to conclude that everybody there was making this up, right, um, or they really saw what they saw. And if they saw what they saw, well, you know, you can be the judge of what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let me ask you this: the uh, this this uh, uh, anniversary um, um, about uh, the 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 the, uh, the UFO reports, the UFO studies uh, from uh, mm-hmm. the, the forest reports on Roswell. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, let me start with just one thing first, because June twenty fourth uh, has another important is a is an important date for another reason. Uh, that's the date that a guy named Kenneth Arnold saw nine UFOs flying in Washington State, and he was a, a pilot flying looking for a downed plane. And it's his report that began the modern era of UFOs. So you picked a good day to, to have wow. our discussion here, because uh, that really led everything about it. If, if, if you want, you know, just, just yeah, Google well, Ken Arnold and UFOs, and everybody can, can read all about that if they haven't heard about it. Well, just a quick, if you can do a quick summation of that. Right. Well, well, there was a plane that was down, and Ken Arnold was trying to find it, as were lots of other people. 
or at least re- few, some people. And he was a pilot. He flew around uh, for his part of his job, actually, all over the northwestern U.S. And it was a completely clear day, mid, you know, I think early afternoon, I don't know the exact time, uh, on uh, June 24th. And he saw nine, not this shape, they were actually kind of boomerang-shaped objects flying between two of the large mountains there, right? Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. Um, and he was able to time them because he knew the distance between them, and they were traveling somewhat over a thousand miles an hour um, in formation. Um, and they just kept going. And you know, he saw them for a reasonable period of time. They were quite distant from him, so they were very small. But he he said he could see enough detail. And um, there, of course, we didn't have anything that flew a thousand miles an hour then. Yeah, and not nine things in a formation. So he he landed. He told somebody about this. A newspaper guy got a hold of it and put the report in the paper, and all, you know, H broke loose, uh-huh. basically, across the whole country. And what happened was this was a case of, of, of what's called facilitation. Basically, other people had already been seeing UFOs that year. But that report in the newspaper made it okay for people to report what they were seeing. Oh, I see. Okay, and so yeah. all of a sudden there were lots of reports, and and I do think that there there were in fact there perhaps more UFOs appearing over the next couple of weeks. Roswell itself happened, that is the crash we think, uh, just about uh, ten days later. Uh, but uh, essentially, that kick started the the Arnold sighting kick started the modern UFO era because since then UFOs have just been in the news, you know, forever. Um, now, as I said, ten days after that or so, what, what we think was probably July 2nd or July 3rd is when the Roswell crash itself happened back in 1947. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about that, uh, the the effects of that, that crash in, in 1947. Obviously, you know, p- people associate, um, you know, aliens and, and uh, UFOs with Roswell. It's always forever going to be con- connected with Roswell. Tell us a bit about the crash and, and what happened after. Yes, the... the um it, it was discovered by a guy named Mac Brazel, who was a, uh, a rancher. He didn't own the ranch, but he was the foreman. And um, he went out uh, one day to uh, take care of things and found this strange debris. And that probably was July 3rd when he found the debris. Okay. And he then, of course, realizing it was strange, and he, he was very familiar with balloons and things from the Air Force, and that's an important point I'll get to. So he went into town. Town was about 70 miles away in Roswell. He lived northwest of there. New Mexico then was very sparsely populated in that part. So he got into town. He didn't have a phone either. And talked to the sheriff, of course, and said, you know, what had happened? The sheriff immediately realized it was important and called the base at Roswell and said, you know, there's a guy here you should talk to. The commanding officer at the base sent uh, his intelligence officer there and said, you know, go over there and talk to him. His name was Jesse Marcel. He talked to Mac Brazel and um, said, looked at, and he brought a piece of debris with him, and he said, you know what, I should go out there and take a look. So he talked to his commanding officer and said, yeah, this is this is looks important. We should look into this. So he... Marcel took another guy and named Cavett, and they drove out with the rancher that day to the ranch to look at what, what he had found. And they stayed overnight, actually, to do it because it was such a long drive. 
Well, the uh, you know it's a long story, but basically um, they saw the debris field the next day, which was quite long. It was at least a quarter mile in length, with lots of debris scattered over it. Those though scattered, you know, not continuous debris. Right, right. Quarter mile. Right. Very strange. Light but strong. Um, not necessarily an object visible. It was all broken up. They brought it, brought some of it back to the base. And why do we know about it? Because um, on July 8th, the commanding officer, uh, Blanchard, issued a press release that said the 509th Bomb Group, that was the bomb group at the station at the base, um, has got one of these flying disks. They weren't called UFOs back then, or they were called flying disks. And uh, we have one in our possession, and we're sending it to higher headquarters. Wow. Imagine that. The Air Force actually put out that press release from Roswell. That was uh, early in the afternoon on July 8th. Uh, A few hours later, at higher headquarters, which for them was in Fort Worth, um, the, the commanding officer there, Roger Ramey, undercut that press release and said, no, 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 they they just found a weather balloon. They misinterpreted a weather balloon as this debris. So nothing to see here, folks. Just go away. Oh, wow. And um, and that, amazingly, because it was a different era, that buried the story for the next 30 years. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. So what do you think of the... Uh, of, um the the uh, the the report that came out. Uh, well, the, what what the yeah, as I the, said, it buried the story for thirty yeah, years. Then yeah. um, Marcel began to talk about the case, right? And people began to look into it. And uh, in the late seventies, by the early nineties, there was so much information. So many people had been interviewed. Now, I've, I've interviewed myself, some of the 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 old retired military guys that. It was impossible to ignore. The press was covering it. The public was interested. TV programs were being done. The government felt it actually had to react to UFOs, which it hadn't done since the late 60s. So they put out a report, the first report, in 1994, not in June, um, that tried to explain it away. And it didn't work. Um. So the mystery continued. And and there was a crescendo building in June of 1997, which was the 50-year anniversary of the sighting. Yeah. And so the Air Force felt compelled to put out another report. Imagine that. They put out a report to say, this is the definitive report, and then three years later they put out another report. And that's the one that came out, you know, that, that uh, we're talking about now. Yeah. That um, uh, claimed that, well, yeah, people did see bodies, uh, at the crash site, but in fact, they were just crash dummies we were testing. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, and they were confusing, and oh, and by the way, those dummies weren't in 47. They were actually 10 years later, but they got confused about the timeline. Oh, I see. And, you know, all okay. this stuff. Okay. All right, Mark, hang on a second, okay? Sure. All right. Uh, we are talking with, uh, with Mark uh, Rodiger, and he is the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And we're talking about uh, UFOs, and we've got more to talk about right here on 720 uh, WGN.
Vic DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and uh, we are live in the Skyline studio here, and we're talking with uh, Mark Rodiger, who's the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And um, Mark, uh, welcome back. Hey, yeah, good to uh, be back, Nick. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, the CIA's uh, UFO history, which you wrote about. Yes, the, uh, it's a notorious history. Yeah. Um, and uh, the most important thing that the CIA did was to hold a meeting in, in January of 1953 um, and um, create a policy to, to debunk UFOs. And, and the reason that happened is because in the summer of 1952, there were a series of UFO sightings over not just the U.S., but right over Washington, D.C., um, and the uh, CIA became concerned that there were potentially sightings, uh, so many sightings, that they swamped the phone lines with people reporting. You know, they didn't have the kind of reporting system that we, we have now in this right. country. With, right. So, uh, and they thought of, cool, who else? That the Soviets could do the same thing somehow. They, they could confuse us and lead to a sneak attack, potentially. Um, they also thought... That and this is really was you know you might say well there's maybe some logic in that, but they also believe per the general paranoia in the Cold War days that um, UFO groups and individuals could be secretly working to subvert the government. You know maybe maybe not uh, consciously even they were doing it you know just by studying UFOs and questioning whether the government was releasing all the information, you know, that could be a problem. So for all those reasons, they held this meeting with some very top-level scientists. Dr. Hynek was there as kind of a junior member. And um, the uh, senior group recommended that the government downplay as much as possible UFOs. They didn't worry at all about scientifically investigating them. In fact, that they thought that UFOs really could all be explained. There's not, no mystery here at all. Right. So the idea, and the critical thing was to get the public not interested in UFOs. In fact, they they talked about things like using Walt Disney, uh, the company, to put out essentially propaganda about UFOs. Um, and they also recommended keeping an eye on UFO groups and organizations, which did then happen in the 1950s and 1960s. So the Air Force, up until that time, had done some reasonable work investigating UFO sightings. After that was what's called the Robertson panel. H.B. Robertson was the scientist who led it. Um, then the policy changed. And it, it, while some investigations were done, well, like the Socorro case in 64 in New Mexico with a policeman seeing a landed UFO, um, for the most part, the idea was come up with any crazy explanation that's possible to get rid of all the cases, try not to classify anything as unidentified, because we don't want the public to be interested in UFOs. Mm. And that, that, so that's the worst thing they did. Beyond that, uh, let, me, let me flip it over. Yeah, uh, yeah. Imagine the following. People are seeing strange things in the sky, including military pilots. Um, scientists even are seeing them. People are sometimes measuring and taking photographs. Would you think that the country's military and civilian intelligence agencies should be not only aware of that, but that they should be looking into it? Well, the answer is, how could they not be, right? Yeah. But the problem is, they didn't. 
<clears throat> as far as we know, unless there was some secret project that we haven't yet uncovered, <clears throat> they put their heads in the sand. They said, no, we're not going to look into what these people are reporting. Um, you know, we're going to ignore it, and we're going to go about our business and worry about the, the Soviets, which admittedly was a more direct, you know, threat. Sure. But still, <clears throat> they ignored this, this, this interesting, if, if true, not, not super concrete evidence for things being seen, but again, being seen by very reliable observers, you know, their own pilots, their own military men, etc., Wow. So it's, it's 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 an interesting history now. You you wrote this piece what 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 was uh, the 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 history that you looked into? Well, when- the um in the in the 1990s, you know, after the Cold War, <clears throat> the intelligence agencies including the CIA began to open up their archives. You know, the Soviets did that after the Berlin Wall fell, and some of that began to happen here in its own way. And so the CIA tasked one of its internal historians, a guy named Gerald Haynes, to write a history of the CIA's involvement with UFOs. So he wrote that, and, and there was an unclassified and a classified version. I've never seen the classified version, but the, classif- uh, the unclassified version came out of, you know, in the mid-'90s. So we looked at it, and you know, some of it was okay, but there was one crazy thing in it, that I knew I had to investigate. Okay. So let's go back to the 1950s when the U-2 spy plane was developed. Okay. Which was the, the, the first plane, of course, that could fly at high altitudes, take photos. This is before satellites. And so it was sent over the Soviet Union to take photos. One was shot down. A guy named Gary Powers, a pilot, you know, was held by the Soviets for a while. Um, the Haynes claimed, because somebody, an, an old guy, you know, retired guy at the CIA told him, that, oh, back in the 50s, uh, maybe up to half of all UFO sightings were caused by the U-2 spy plane. Well, the U-2 spy plane flies really high in the sky, but it's a plane. It doesn't, it, you know, it's not a missile or anything. It's not a disc. It's a plane. And not only that, I know from studying the files that there's no way. that, that That's actually a crazy claim. Mm. So the, So what... We did was what I did was I contacted a guy named Major Robert Friend, who was the head of Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, which I'm sure many listeners have heard, is the was the name of the main UFO project. Right, right, that right. Looked at UFOs. Right. Um, and uh, Major Friend got along very well with Dr. Heineck. He was one of the good guys in the project. Tried to do the best he could given those limitations I mentioned. So I called up Major Friend back in the 90s. He was still around. And I said, I read him the relevant part of Haynes' um, comments, and he laughed uproariously. And he said, you know, I, I can't quite quote him, <laughs> but, he, okay. but the, the upshot is, he said, no way. <laughs> that He's completely off base. There's no way that half the sightings we got were caused by the U-2 spy plane. Uh, yeah, and he, you know, here, here's the guy who ran the program telling yeah, you that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Okay? Because he knows what the characteristics are. And, and, and the other reason is lots of people reported UFOs close to the ground. You know, things that landed, things that they could see next to a tree, you know, th- things that, that were within their field of view, not high up in the sky. The UFO, the U2 over the United States never flew that low because it didn't want to be seen here. It was a secret plane. Right. So, so there's an example of, of you know, of an official history that, that at least on that point, is completely inaccurate. 
Wow. So is this ever going to be cleared up? Are we ever going to solve any any of these mysteries, Mark? What do you think? Well, I, I, I'm hopeful. Let's say I'm more hopeful than I was um, maybe three years ago uh, because the New York Times reported back in December of 2017 on the videos that were taken by Navy pilots, which, which were taken, of course, when the people were visually seeing UFOs and they were being picked up on radar. Uh, and this is a story that it broke with the Times. We had actually heard about it before that in the UFO community. But um, we, all, we know that pilots have always seen UFOs. I mean, I, I just saw a report last week from a uh, pilot from one of our, uh, either FedEx or UPS, uh, two pilots flying over Mexico that videoed a light outside their window, a UFO. So they're still being seen uh, from the air. Well, these were uh, naval pilots in more than one incident that uh, saw a UFO because they were vectored there by radar, and then their uh, cameras on the plane picked up the UFO. And the incredible thing is that this stuff got released, and then the pilots were willing to talk about it Mm. and stand behind these statements, and the military didn't stop them from doing so. No, they were all out of the military by then. Well, this has been gaining momentum, the the interest in this, uh, in the last two and a half years, uh, so much so that that just like two days ago, the uh, Senate Select Intelligence Committee um, has asked for the government for next year to begin a systematic effort to report on what it knows about unexplained sightings of things. Now, their focus is on unexplained technology that could be from our adversaries, China, Soviet Union, and so forth, but it, they leave it open for, you know, essentially whatever the cause is for this technology. Um, and so that kind of official interest is totally new mm-hmm. in the UFO community mm-hmm. and, and, and UFO history uh, since the, the 60s and Blue Book. So that does give me some hope because... Otherwise, I will say, UFOs are very hard to study. And the reason is they don't appear <laughs> in any pattern. Right. Um, you know, you could do experiments in the lab with almost every other science kind of thing. You can go out, uh, you know, I, my undergrad degree is in astrophysics, and you can go out with a telescope and study stars and on and on, et cetera, et cetera. But we can't just go out at a certain time and say, we're going to go out and study UFO tonight. Can't do it. And that's been a tremendous hindrance uh, for us, you know, all these years. Um, but um, so getting official interest is, is, for all the obvious reasons, extremely important. And I'm just hoping this continues. Mm. Wow. It's fascinating stuff. It really is. Tell me a little bit about what you think of the, the declassified UFO videos that were taken by the Navy pilots at the Pentagon. I think they're legitimate. Um, I, I think that um, the that they're the tip of the iceberg. You know that uh, that that they're not easily explained as Chinese drones um, or even our own drones being tested against our our pilots. You know, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. They would do it in the, in the way it occurred. Right. So I think they're unexplained. I don't think they're also, you know, in a distant aircraft or anything. Um, you know, it's, it's it, it, you know, people have tried to debunk them. I've read through those efforts. I'm, you know, I'm not convinced. Um, but, um, you know, we, we need more data. And, and one problem is there is still secrecy. You know, there's a guy um, who ran 
a small UFO program in the government that was uh, funded uh, through efforts by Harry Reid, the former senator from Nevada, right, and um, called ATIP. And um, uh, Louis Elizondo was the guy who um, ran this program. But um, the program's results are still basically classified. You know, these videos have been released, but the program behind it and the whatever else this program was doing with Elizondo says was studying UFOs. Um, has, this stuff has not been released, and, so, and not only that, we don't even have a like the Navy report on these videos and these sightings. So we're still very much in the dark as to the details on these things. Yeah, and without that, I understand why. And you know, a, a scientist or who is neutral to the subject, oh well, maybe UFOs are interesting, maybe they're not. I don't know. Yeah, is going to say, you know, show me your data on this stuff. You know, then then I'll get really interested. Right, and at right, this right. Point there isn't much. Right. Okay. Listen, Mark, uh, fascinating stuff uh, to, uh, talking to you, uh, president of the uh, the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. Is there a website that people can go to? www.cufos.org. Kufos.org. Kufos.org. Okay, Mark, thanks very much. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, take care. Nick. There you go. Mark uh, Rodiger, everybody. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We'll be back.